There you go. You got the gist. You got the gist. We, uh, who knows what we're who knows what we're studying? Looking at Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. And I was kind of disappointed, to be honest. I thought you'd all be on your feet joining him, but clearly you're not big uh, musical fans here. But there you go. So we're looking at Joseph. Uh, as Sarah said, we're going through this series of of kind of re-looking and revisiting familiar biblical stories. And it's a little bit like, have you ever? Um, did you all have like a favourite childhood film or book? Anyone here? You must have had, you had something. And then you rewatch it as an adult, uh, hopefully you have, and you notice something a bit different about it than you realise watched it as a kid, yeah? I hope you do, because you've grown up, hope, in theory, uh, since then. And it's a little bit like that with these scripture stories. As we go back and look at them, we're familiar with them through our life, but actually sometimes when we reread them, think oh I see that that's a little bit different I didn't notice that bit and as we develop almost so the Bible kind of opens and expands even even more John Calvin everyone's favorite theologian not but he said uh, this he, or was it Martin one of one of those guys anyway he's they said this that the Bible's like a caged lion and we need to let it out the Bible's like a caged lion and we need to let it out it doesn't mean it's going to devour us but it just means this that it's full of life and full of energy and, and when we're always in that place where we say oh I always agree with the Bible I always find that a bit odd because actually there's a little bit of me that always wants to be challenged by the Bible do, do you know what I mean I always want to be open to the scriptures and as soon as I think I've nailed what it says then I think I've, I've decided what it says but actually we allow the Bible to, to challenge us so that's what we're going to do a little bit with Joseph uh, this afternoon no, who knows this? You know Abraham? Remember him back in the day? Yeah, Father Abraham. What did he have? Many sons. Many sons did. Steve's going to play that. No. And uh, so, Father, and so he had, he's a key character in the whole development of the kind of the biblical story and the world. And, um, and so he had a whole load of chapters devoted to him in Genesis. But did you know this, Sarah? That Joe, you did, obviously. But Joseph has as many chapters devoted to him as Abraham. And he gets a lot of chapters, Joseph, but no one really cares about Joseph. Yeah, they don't care. I mean, they, Jason Donovan did, obviously. He did a musical, musical with him, came to fame, had dinner with him once, just dropped that in there. But, um, but J- Jason, Jace, yeah, yeah. But he did, but um, no one else, he, does, he gets all these chapters and he doesn't get enough kind of profile. Now, here's the change. I think it's about 14 chapters. And I thought to read all of them this afternoon may be a challenge to us. Thankfully, Steve. You remember Stephen in the New Testament, the chap who died? Nice guy, though. Stephen, he summed it up beautifully for us. So we're going to go back to that uh, reading. That'd be great. And um, Sarah, that looks like some long words there. Can I be cheeky? Can you? I'm dyslexic, so I can't pronounce patriarchs. So um, there you go. You got us. All right. It's just a few. That was I don't think it was. (laughs) Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. It's much bigger than mine, gosh. (laughs) Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. 
Their bodies were brought back to, hmm, yeah, <laughs> that place, <laughs> and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for the sons of Hamor at Sheshem, Sheshem, from a certain sum of money. At this time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. The number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Brilliant. Thank you, Sarah. I'm sorry to uh, uh, drop it in your last minute. So, so that's a summary of the story of Joseph. There's a lot more to it, but that's, that was Stephen in Acts chapter 9. He's doing this great big speech, and he's kind of summing up uh, the Hebrew scriptures, summing up the Old Testament story, and that's kind of Joseph's section. But one of the things Joseph is most known for, and we're going to, so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to basically pick up on a few different characteristics of Joseph, okay, just to kind of uh, see, us, see us through this afternoon, and uh, then we'll have some cake uh, after the service. So um, one of the things that we're known, Joseph is known for, is his, oh, back a bit, sorry, sorry, giving away the game, uh, is his, his little dreams and his multicolored, technicolor sort of dream coat thing wasn't it so he had the, he joseph okay so his dad was esau is he, jacob exactly honestly amy can't get the staff can you uh, and uh, i think esau was esau the hairy one yeah so you got he had twins okay jacob and esau esau was very hairy and liked to go and killing things and uh, you know he was sort of an alpha male he went out and killed things and ate things um uh, but joseph's dad it says in the Bible, he, had, he was smooth. He wasn't hairy. He was smooth. And he liked hanging out in the tents with the ladies. That's what he liked doing. So he was a little bit more feminine. So, but he, he, he got a few wives back in the day. And he had uh, lots of kids. And Joseph was his second to last one. That was his favorite. He liked Joseph. Um, so Joseph's dad, if I can say it like this, is not a... Um, do you know what I mean by now for male? kind of like most blokes you know just sort of like eat drink and whatever uh you, you know and occasionally find an emotion and it scares them sort of thing so so joseph joseph's dad wasn't like that joseph's dad was a bit more um feminine a bit more in touch with himself and and uh, and all those sorts of things so he was he was a much more kind of um yeah just a nice guy i think he saw so anyway so he decided he looked at joseph and he thought you know what i'm gonna do joseph i'm gonna make you a dress he did, didn't he? He made him a dress. They all wore dresses, but they didn't wear dresses like Joseph did. So they're going to make him a dress. And he made them, he, Esau made him this big, kind of like a rainbow, multicolored dress. And he wore it. And I reckon Joseph done a little twirl, wouldn't he? He would have done a little twirl in it, wouldn't he? In other words, what's interesting about Joseph, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't sort of... He didn't stick to the gender rules, did he? He's wearing this multicolored kind of beautiful dress, basically. And so it's really interesting. When it comes to scholars who like to sort of go around and study these things, interpret these things, I've, I've got one with me. So, uh, uh, and uh, uh, not a scholar, a, a rainbow. No, I haven't got a rainbow dress with me. Uh, uh, but when they, they look at it, and so some translations talk about a long tunic, Okay. Other translations realize that actually it's, it is this kind of multicolored, beautiful, kind of highlighted dress. And so what other people do, they think, well, where has this happened before? And that's what you're all thinking. And some of you now are remembering 2 Samuel chapter 3 or chapter 13, aren't you? I knew it. I knew it. Where it happens again, where the same kind of word is used to describe this garment. And it's worn by a princess. It's worn by a princess. Isn't that interesting? 
Well, I'm glad, I'm glad Melissa finds it interesting. Most of you find it slightly awkward. You don't know what to do with it, do you, quite frankly? But welcome to Top Church. You haven't caught on yet. So, so that, that's what Joseph is wearing. It's absolutely fascinating. And so he doesn't seem to kind of, doesn't seem at first part to sort of fit the normal kind of gendered roles that Joseph, that others people kind of lived in. And he had this kind of multicolored dress. And it's fantastic. Really, really interesting. So some scholars say it was a princess dress. Can you remember wearing one of those when you're... They're all walking out now. Uh, uh, Melissa's off to get a princess dress. She didn't know she was allowed one. And, um, but that's, that's basically how some scholars uh, interpret it. So I just thought I'd let you know that. I won't dwell on it because you'll look a bit uncomfortable with the idea. But I, I just thought I'd let you know if you like wearing princess dresses, it's in the Bible. It is in the Bible, and Joseph wore one. That's what he was wearing. And I think that's quite powerful, quite frankly, because I think it's saying there are some people who, in other words, you know Jesus, remember him. Hopefully you do know him and not just remember him. There's some roles that he did that males weren't expected to do. Okay, he cooked dinner. Males weren't supposed to cook dinner. He cleaned people's feet. I don't like that idea, but that's what he he did. That's not what males were supposed to do. That is females or slaves. Cooking with females or slaves. Do, do, Do you see? So Jesus often transgressed kind of gender roles, you see. And often, in particular, the generation coming up behind us, as it were, their their challenge is that sometimes, more and more, that people are feeling, I don't quite fit my gender role here, what I should be and how I should, you know, how I should act and all those sorts of things. Well, if you feel like that, you've got some lovely companions, not throughout scripture, not on every page, you might kind of resonate safe and secure in this one. Thank you. We're ready now uh, for the next slide. And this is leadership. This is leadership. So what's really interesting about Joseph is wherever he goes, he exercises leadership. Okay, wherever he ends up. In his family, it doesn't go well and they try and kill him and get rid of him, uh, but he exercises leadership. His brothers bullied him. They did not like the chap with the dress on. They didn't like him, so they bullied him and they wanted to get rid of him. But he exercised leadership in his family context. And then he ended up in Egypt and he ended up being uh, put in prison because of a different, uh, well, I'll read read the story. Anyway, he gets put in prison and even in prison, he exercises leadership. He's not in charge in any context. It's really interesting. He's not in charge in his family. That's daddy's in charge and his older brother's in charge. Yet he exercises influence. He exercises leadership. In prison, he's, he's not in charge. If you're in prison, you're, you're not in charge. You know? But he exercises leadership. And they come to him and they want some tips about you know, trying to interpret dreams and so forth. Cut a long story short, he goes from a pit where the, their brothers put him, then he goes to a prison, and then he becomes prime minister. And I should have just used those three Ps. That's fun. That was good, wasn't it? Uh, and then he becomes, basically, the prime minister, becomes Pharaoh's right-hand person to rule and reign across the whole of Egypt. Yet he exercises leadership, yet he's still not ultimately in charge. So, years ago, a long time ago now, too long ago to remember, I used to work in politics. Look at that. Sounds very snazzy, doesn't it? Ooh, you didn't know that, did you, Michelle? So, so I work for an MP um, who's now a sir, Sir Simon Hughes. So uh, he was a Lib Dem. He's the only one who gave me a job. So that's where I worked for him when I was at a university. It wasn't a political decision. So I worked for Simon. Great. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, what I found out, what I was thinking was this. Well, you know, he's an MP. He's got power. He can change things. He can influence things. And uh, he could a little bit. We could, we could get 
you know, the council to change their light bulbs and things like that. We had great power. You know, we had to sort of exercise a little bit of influence or to cut our trees and things like that. But, and then I, I was just thought, well, he's, he's sort of, you know, he's a backbencher. He's got a bit of charisma and pizzazz. He's making a bit of influence. But, but really, the, the real people would be in the cabinet, wouldn't it? Because they're at the reins of power and they can lock us down and everything. So, so then you get to know the people in the cabinet. And you think, wow, they've really got the power. And then, and then you speak to the people in the cabinet and they think, no, I haven't got the power. Prime Minister's got the power. You really need to get to be Prime Minister. If you're a Prime Minister, you get to have all the power. You get to change everything. And so you get to know the Prime Minister. very good friends with David Cameron and Theresa May. No, I wasn't. But here's the interesting thing. Do you know where Theresa May was the night before Brexit? She was in my old church. I was interviewing her. Isn't that weird? I never, met, I never had anything to do with it. That's just freaky, wasn't it? Anyway, as, a, as an aside, I don't know if that's a proud thing or not, or a good thing. But anyway, so you, you get to know the Prime Minister, and they think they've got the power, but then there is, they don't have the power. Apple's got the power, because they've got all the money, and they control all the devices that are listening to everything we're saying and doing. And so then you get to know Apple, and then you think they've got the power, and they said, we haven't got the power, Google's got the power. In other words, in, in other words, it's this. Whatever, wherever we are, there's always someone who's got more power and more leadership than us. Okay? You, you, you're never in that place where you feel like you are in charge. But all of us, like Joseph, can exercise influence and leadership. Whether you see that through the, kind of the secular kind of levels of, of everyone's looking for that power to do something, or whether it's just in your local kind of primary school, if you're a teacher or a head teacher in your workplace, there's always somebody else who's got a bit more power than you, a bit more authority. There's always a bishop, and then there's always an archbishop, and then there's always the church commissioners, and there's always this person, there's always that person. There's always that. But yet Joseph had the great ability to exercise the leadership and influence even if he didn't have the authority. And that's the art of living for Jesus because we won't always have the the worldly authority, as it were, to make decisions, to make the changes. But through Christ, we always have the Christ-like influence, that beautiful, gentle, wonderful influence that nudges and pushes the world along. So a writer called Margaret Wheatley, and she said she, her, her theory was the world's sort of collapsing. I'm not saying I agree with her, but it's all going to pot, and it feels a bit like it at times. And her view was actually the future lies in local leadership. The future is in local communities supporting and loving and living out a Christ-like life. And that's where, it, that's where it ends. So all of us, like Joseph, can exercise leadership and influence. And we can't think, well, someone else is, you know, I haven't got enough power, I haven't got enough. We all have. We all have. We can all do that. And that's the message of Joseph. Because whether he was in a pit, whether he's getting bullied by his brothers, whether he was in prison, or even if he was prime minister, every step of the way, Joseph makes such an influence for Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's a bit like Jesus, you know. Jesus didn't really have much power when you're hanging on the cross. But yet it changed the entire world, hasn't it? You don't, that's, that's very powerless, hanging on the cross, being killed. It changed the entire world. It's like Jesus, the kind of opposite values shine through. We might not feel that we're always in charge. We may never ever be in charge. We might find that more and more churches ostracized but actually through Christ we can always have that influence even if we feel like we haven't got that leadership to use kind of term, leadership terminology we all lead in a system do you say you're all in a system you're all in a system we can't sort of escape it but we can influence things as they move along so that's a little bit more and one of the lovely characteristics uh, about Joseph the next one which is really interesting is he had he had emotions he had emotions I mean 
It's all going on for Joseph, isn't it? He's got emotions. So what do I mean by that? So he wept. It says in the scriptures, he wept. He cried seven times. I get a life, Joe. Seven times he wept. Seven times. Jesus just did it the once. But uh, he, seven times Joseph wept. And you know, seven's a really significant number in the Bible. It's like the perfect number. It, it, when, it, when something happens seven times, it's like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie. Like the Bible writers are sort of, you know, providing you with a hint. And it's really interesting. In one of the occasions, if not most, one of the reasons Joseph cries is because he's overcome by compassion. Now, when you think about him in leadership capacity, on the whole, we don't like leaders who are emotional. We want, you know, you don't want an emotional doctor, do, do you really? You want, you, want, you want to know the facts, you know. But actually, here you've got Joseph, and actually he's a leader, and he's a man who's very in touch with his emotions. Again, that's quite unusual combination. You know, still, still, thousands and thousands of years later, isn't it? That combination. So Joseph, as it were, values emotions and allows his emotions to, to well up, allows his emotions to help him make the decisions, allows his emotions to, to work out how he feels and how he acts and reacts in situations. And seven times it says in his story that he wept. And in one of the lovely things it says, he wept with compassion. He wept with compassion. You know, it reminds me, again, you, you see Joseph as what's called like a type of Jesus, a, a little mini picture of Jesus. And it reminds me um, when someone uh, said to Jesus, you know, what's, what, you know, it, well, no, it actually didn't say it. It was in um, Sermon on the Mount in the middle where it says, um, well, it's translated as this, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. But really it's be compassionate. That's the word compassionate, as your heavenly father is compassionate. And when Jesus wanted to sum up the law, it was about loving God, loving your neighbor. It's about having compassion. And that word compassion, when Jesus uses it, is, is not a um, kind of factual thing. Yes, I'm having compassion today. I will have compassion on you, Shane. Uh, it is more, uh, well, actually, sometimes they translate it as mercy, which gives that sense of uh, power dynamic. But actually, compassion erases that. And compassion just means you're moved from your inner being. It's like when you've had a curry and it's not sitting well. You know, you're, something happens inside something. You're moved uh, with your inner, inner being. A lot of, a lot of blokes resonated to that uh, you know uh, I've never seen Dave so excited about a preach when you talk about food uh, but that that compassion that movement and the the leadership of Joseph and the life of Joseph was a compassionate one deeply deeply compassionate again a characteristic not often seen but something that's so vital we see in Christ and that's why he's such a great leader that's why he could reconcile with his brothers. That's why he could forgive them for what they've done to him. That's why he could kind of cope with all the hassles in life as it were that came in because he had compassion coming out of him towards other people. It's a really, really beautiful gift. So Joseph was definitely emotional. And um, if you're emotional, that's good. You've got a friend in Joseph. Go home and watch the musical. You know, you've got a friend in Joseph. If you're, um, you know... <laughs> If you're, if you're emotional and, and that's been criticized in the past, um, just, I don't know what you do about that, but, you know, just tell the bloke that he was wrong because no doubt it was a bloke who told you that. But anyway, uh, but, just, it's, you know, emotions are good. They're fine. They're healthy. In fact, turn to your name and say, emotions are good. I'm feeling emotional. I'm feeling, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling emotional. I don't know why. I just... Just looking forward to the cake, really. So, so, you know, so we have this kind of view that, you know, I can't remember that, you know, 
um, you know, that, that awful phrase that, you know, if, if I'm gonna, just going to be gender specific here, but if, if a bloke says something really strong, they're passionate about it. If a woman says it, they're emotional about it. It's ridiculous play of language, absolutely ridiculous about that. Emotions are good things, and we need more of them. And if you're a bloke, have a little cry tonight. Go on, go on, I won't tell anyone. Have a little cry, cut some onions, get yourself going, put on a little kid's film, you'll be in tears before you know it, uh, Bambi or something like that. Emotions are good things, and Dave's now going to come, no. Uh, uh, so, wonderful, okay. Last uh, but not least and um, uh, is this. The most wonderful thing about the story of Joseph, you see, you see it in, the, in the, the story, if you read the whole 14 chapters, and you, you saw it actually in Stephen's um, summary, is, is this little phrase that just reoccurs all the time is, God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. It's just this beautiful little phrase that the Lord was with him. It just, it just kind of crops up. As you read the story, you can't help. It gets sort of complicated and, and you can't quite work out who, well, I can never work out who's who and all that sort of stuff. But you have this reoccurring theme of God's presence, that God is with him. God is looking after him. So he goes from, isn't he, from a kind of a prisoner to a, uh, a prisoner to a prince. He goes from a pit to a sort of prime minister. And yet in all these situations, it says, God is with him, God is with him, and God is with him. And that's why really Joseph could cope with all that he coped with because God was with him and he could draw on God's resources. It really is the only way we can get through all our stuff in life. It really, really is, is to know that God is with you. And when you know God is with you, it not just emboldens you, it kind of relaxes you. It kind of, at moments, it gives you that great strength you need. At other moments, it's almost like God just kind of says, look, just step out of the situation. It's going to be all right, you know. Don't, you don't have to get too worried about it, James. It's, it's going to be all right because God is with you. God is with you. You know, God is with us. And maybe for some of us, just that beautiful, simple truth, um, you know, this afternoon is just to know that. There's a lovely verse hidden away in Genesis about Joseph. And I, and I didn't scribble it down, but it's something like this. is what the enemy meant for bad... God turned for good. What the enemy meant for bad, God turned for good. And it can be misused, that verse, at times in church life. But, but just let that kind of resonate with us, that sense of what, what the enemy, whether you think that's the, you see that as the devil or whether you, you see it as someone you know uh, or, you know, whatever, or just that sense of forces against you. What's meant for bad, because God is with us. He has this incredible, beautiful ability to turn it to good, to turn it to good. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful song by Aaron Keyes. I think it's Keyes, um, Sovereign Over Us. If you get a chance to have a kind of little watch of it or listen to it later on uh, when you get home after you've had your cry and your onions and Bambi and all that stuff, you've got a busy night ahead. Uh, uh, it's, well, it's just this, it's got that kind of refrain uh, as part of the worship. Really, really uh, beautiful thing. So that's a little bit of Joseph. So remember, he wore this beautiful outfit. Make, a, make that, make, make, work out what you think of that. Can't think of the right words. They were kind of the wrong way. Uh, he, was, he exercised leadership in all these, in every setting he was on, even if he wasn't the one in charge. He had that influence, and that's our calling to have that Christ-like influence, that salt and that light in the world. He had emotions, and, and we're all crying because we love them now. We love our emotions. And, but it was from that embedded sense of compassion, and that all the way along we see time and time and God is with him, which enables us to get through what we're going through. Why don't we just pray together and then um, Chris is going to lead us in uh, a lovely song of worship called The Goodness of God, which was, in a way is a lovely summary of the whole story of Joseph that kind of takes us from you know, the, the pit of despair to 
um, you know, the, a, a place of security. So let, let me just pray, and then uh, Chris will lead us in that song of worship. Love and God, we thank you for the gift that Joseph is to us as a church this afternoon and over the centuries and the years. Thank you for his story. Thank you for his desire just to break some boundaries. Thank you. There's a place for us in your story. Father, thank you for his gift of leadership and influence. May we follow that example wherever we find ourselves that we might just do be a little influencer for you, Jesus. Salt and light and goodness. Thank you for his emotions. Thank you that he shows us it's okay to weep, to be upset, to be confused. And we just bless our emotions this evening, Lord, and enable them to, to work in our lives for our good and for your glory. And we thank you for this beautiful phrase, that you were with him. And that what the enemy meant for bad, you, Lord, turned to good. And we pray now as we worship you and remember your goodness, that that will be beating in our hearts. We ask this in and through the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.